for the Geek Pride cast on this Sunday evening. Uh, with me, we have the usual suspects, but we also have another guest, who I will get to uh, very shortly. Um, so with me tonight, we have Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And Mark Canty. Evening, all. And our special guest tonight is Francesca Laquada. Hello. Was, that, was that pronounced properly? That was correct, yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, so Fran, t- tell tell everybody who you are, what you do, uh, what's your thing? What's my thing? I uh, I teach people how to sword fight um, with um, Renaissance weapons. So I've been teaching, practicing, and teaching historical fencing uh, since 2010, um, and I specialize in the side sword and the rapier so uh long pointy stabby weapons and accompanying weapons um based on how they were taught at the time so we take uh fencing manuals from the the era we study them we we translate them we interpret them and then we put them into practice the historical european and martial arts or hema uh, movement is all about um the, the side sword um no i should no, i should know considering i did the degree in military history but is it just um what you would see um in your your average joey's carrying a sword is that what it, is that the yeah, name for it so just... when you think about um things like romeo and juliet yes uh all the sort of chaps in that who were getting all fired up and starting fights with one another that's the weapon that they would have had so that would be would have been the civilian, as you say, the average Joe, the civilian uh, weapon that they would wear as part of their attire. So you literally wouldn't be seen, well, a young nobleman at least, would not be seen without one. Um, it's just, if you weren't wearing one, you're probably a priest or a monk or something. Okay. Okay. How did you get into sword fighting? Well, when I was pregnant with my first child, went to a reenactment event just down the road, and there was a stand by a group called Scholar Gladiatoria. You might have seen them on YouTube. A chap yeah. called Matt Easton, who's very knowledgeable uh, and knows loads and loads about swords. He, well, he wasn't actually there, but it was his group, and they were running a little uh, tournament. Of course, I was pregnant, so I couldn't take part. But my husband at the time, he had a go, um, and he enjoyed it. Two years later, after sort of percolating, um, sorry, I should say, I should quickly say, they weren't using steel weapons. It was a, uh, it was LARP, it was foam LARP type weapons, but it was just a sort of knockabout, see how you do kind of thing if you've never done swords before. Two years later, just had my second child. Uh, we found a school just down the road from us, about a 15 minute drive away, was teaching this stuff with with proper weapons and uh, we thought we'd give it a go. Because uh, the classes that were on offer uh, initially from Scholar Gladiator, they were a bit, bit too far out for us. But then when we found that there was a, a club locally, uh, we went along, had a go and got completely hooked. And that was it. <laughs> nice. Had you had any kind of experience in like Nohim or military history before then, or was it just something that grabbed you when you saw it at that? Well, uh, to be honest, what appealed to me is 
uh, for, a lot, for a lot of people, it's the same thing that appeals to a little kid when they pick up a stick in the woods and turn it into a lightsaber or a sword. Or it's just that very, um, very uh, intuitive kind of romantic childhood notion of I've got a sword kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and hitting people with swords is fun. Um, so that was kind of the drive. I, I mean, I've obviously I've, I'm very interested in history. Uh, but the initial sort of gut reaction was hitting people with swords is fun and I want to do it. Uh, of course, yeah, no, not, not being hit by swords isn't quite as fun, but, you know, <laughs> learning how to stop that from happening is also fun. Um, but all the kind of other benefits that come with HEMA, you pick up over time, like there's, the, there's all of the context and history behind it, the weapons themselves, you know, it's a really deep rabbit hole to sort of dive into. It depends on what you're, whether you're doing it for fitness, whether you're doing it out of like pure geekery and you're like really into the history behind it. There's, there's something for everyone in there. What is the, what was, are you into a specific area of history or and that, that sort of helped you in that direction or? Um... No, I mean, I was just influenced by what was on offer, really. Uh, I wasn't thinking I'm looking for uh, Renaissance Italian martial arts. That was just what happened to be available from the School of the Sword, which is where I train. Um, that's, that just happened to be what they were passionate about and what they were teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, other schools might, uh, uh, the vast majority of HEMA schools, uh, it seems, teach... Uh, medieval longsword for example so the two-handed sword uh and from the earlier period it is very very popular um but yeah it's uh it's not it's often <coughs> the case of whatever is available to you is what people take on board so things could have been different depending on my geographical location i've seen uh, like i really uh, I, I really got into for a while uh watching the um and I'm not sure who does it. Uh, it's basically they dress up in full plate plate armor and they batter the shit out of each other with <laughs> with weapons. And it's like yeah. it's like MMA but in armor. In, in metal, yeah. yeah. The uh, so this is like um, this is it's got several names. It's Armored Combat League or it's Hev Heavy Medieval Battle or sorry Historical Medieval Battle. I think they call That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah or yeah. it's uh, Bohurt or it's Booher. It's a kind of adjacent sphere to HEMA but it's not the same um it's kind of like how you know you've got LARP you know LARP fighting you've got lightsaber fighting you've got HEMA you've got sports fencing and then you've got ACL stuff as well and uh several times people have done one of those grids you know where how this hobby looks at this hobby kind of thing All right. um and um we're our kind of sphere our kind of angle is we are the like the biggest nerds in the sword fighting uh, community <laughs> because we read books. Uh, <laughs> and the guys and, in the armor, are they the jocks? Is, is yeah, they're the jocks. <laughs> they're but, the jocks. You know, we've all got something to learn from each other. I, I, I think initially there is that kind of, you know, your hobby's too similar to mine and it's not quite the same, therefore I hate you kind of thing. That kind of tribal mentality does tend to rear up initially. But once you sort of break through that and you get to know each other, there is an awful lot to be learned from uh, all these sort of adjacent communities like LARP fighters. I've, I've been tr I've been training a bunch of individually, a bunch of different LARP fighters recently. And people who do LARP 
because they're fighting a lot, because they're fighting without fear of being hurt, they've got a very good idea about group tactics. They know how to avoid being hit by moving out the way rather than um, putting something in the way. And, and they, they have a kind of a better sort of contextual understanding for how people actually behave in a fight. Um, and people in the, the Armoured Combat League, they have fantastic endurance. You know, if you can do <laughs> MMA in a metal suit, you know, you're uh, basically bomb-proof, you know. <laughs> Conor McGregor's, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you see all the... Um, nothing. You see, like, the melees they have, and you, like, you know, there's, like, 10 versus 10, 15 versus 15, I think I saw one and stuff. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal because it's basically yeah. you're out when you hit the ground, Basically, if you hit the yes. ground, if you you're fall up, on your bum, you're out. Or you, yeah, or you or you yield, you're you're done. But they will literally yeah. batter away at you until you yield, and it's not. Yeah. It's pretty. It's you know, uh, you know. I was like, oh, I'd love to try that. I was like, nah, uh, I'm too fragile. <laughs> you know, I think you know, yeah. my my, rug, my rugby days are well gone past me, and I've got the fear now. So, <laughs> where does reenactment come into this uh, Venn diagram of Hema and um, ACL and the like? So a reenactment is kind of like the granddad, I guess, of all of these things, or the parent of, uh, at least in the British scene. So the British Hemocene uh, grew out of reenactment because sort of at a, a, a similar time, a bunch of different people in different reenactment groups, not just in the UK, but also in Europe and in the States as well, they, they kind of thought, well we're doing all this living history stuff. We're doing, we're being as accurate as we can in our details. You know, the thread count of the cotton and all this <laughs> kind of stuff, we're getting the right colors. And, but how accurate is our sword fighting? Because when you're presenting stuff to the public, um, you can't endanger your fellow reenactors too much by bringing this, the weapons up to a certain height, you know, you're going to, you're going to hurt each other. And the fighting is very much a show. And it's, you know, there's only so much you can do when you're not wearing actual, like, face coverings and things like this. So they thought, well, how accurate is it? And they started to do their own research, uh, the sort of smattering of individuals, and they found, hang on a minute, someone actually wrote this down. You know, we don't have to just make it up. We don't have to re uh, reverse engineer it from sports fencing there's actual books that tell us how actual fencing masters even like if you, you can go back as far as uh, the greco-roman period and look up uh, wrestling so you've got uh, greco-roman wrestling uh how they was uh, how they were advising people how to fight um so, uh, I'm just thinking of something my son said earlier about Plato, and Plato wasn't his real name; that was his wrestling name. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't know what his real name was. Apparently, his 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 ring name was Plato because he was wide. It means wide, like oh. platter. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Sorry. Random thought. Uh, just intruded there. Um, so, what was I saying? Um, how yeah, he came the, reenact the reenactment scene yeah we kind of it the like, at least the british hema scene kind of grew out of reenactment so it, back in the uh 80s 90s it was it was all uh photocopies of books and things and then when things went online uh the information started to disseminate a lot more quickly and a lot more easily i mean there is a lot of that around i've got a friend who's into Bartitsu, is it 
yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a really, I, really nerdy niche humour hobby. Yeah, just <laughs> a little tiny bit. Is Batisu a genuine... Um, uh, is there kind of historical precedent for Batistu, or is that it's something real, that yeah, it's real. it is real? Oh wow! Because I real, remember yeah. reading something about there was kind of a, a spin-off of Batistu in the Sherlock yeah. Holmes books that was portrayed mm. fictionally, but I just don't, I don't know how accurate that was. So Conan Doyle referenced Baritsu. He put in a oh. typo. Ah. So, <laughs> this one. <laughs> it was Bartitsu, but he he says I. I think he the line was something like, "But I, but he knew his baritsu, or something like that." Um, yeah. What happened was a chap called Barton Wright in the Victorian era um, travelled to Japan, I believe, and he studied jujitsu, brought it back, resprayed it with his own name, Barton Wright, so Bartitsu. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that's being a bit mean. He took jujitsu. So he brought jujitsu masters back from Japan. And it wasn't only it wasn't only that. There were, I think there was a um, I think he studied or he hung out with um, the Hong Kong police force and looked at how they dealt with um, criminals, like how to, you know, how to subdue people. Mm who are not behaving um, because Victorian London was not a nice place. It was, it was overrun with gangs, criminal gangs who would um, mug people as a gang. So like, it wouldn't just be a case of someone comes along, punches you, knocks you out and uh, takes your wallet. It'd be a whole bunch of people taking your purse or whatever. So a Barton Wright brought, together he did loads of cross-pollination and he effectively invented victorian mixed martial arts uh okay. he brought a bunch of people together and they they learned they learned they cross-pollinated boxing jiu-jitsu um and the kind of one of the characteristics of Bartitsu is being able to turn anything into a weapon mm. um i taught a class uh on parasol and Handbag. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the load of stuff that he sent me talks about using walking sticks and stuff. But he yeah, did say there's other objects that you could use that based on what you would have around you. Yes. So that you would always have options available to you. Yeah. It's like everything is a potentially a weapon. And there's also within the Bartitsu movement, a further niche within a niche within a niche, <laughs> is the, is the neo-Bartitsu movement, which is taking the principles of Bartitsu and putting them in a modern setting. So you could have, for example, uh, someone was telling me um, about uh, iPhone and coffee cup. Okay. The modern, the modern day version of Bartitsu. So, so you, you chuck your, co- you got your cup of coffee with a hot, with a hot cup of coffee with a lid. Someone comes and attacks you. You chuck your co- coffee in their face. Uh, iPhones are surprisingly, or well, not surprisingly, hard. And hmm. there was, there was been one case at least of a woman who battered her boyfriend to death with her iPhone. Yikes! Uh, b- because he deleted all her illegally downloaded music off of it. Um. Not recommended right. behavior, but just to prove that it, they are formidable 
weapons if you're desperate enough. I I just want you to I just want you to bear this in mind, Pete, when you're th- when you're mocking the the butter knife that I gave your character in D and D. So you just for, we have right. So basically, we have a D and D campaign, and uh, Pete's character is a dragonborn um, barbarian. Um, right. and uh, as a bit of a sort of a lesson the the, the sort of deity played by myself um, sort of would say you know anyth- an- anything can be a weapon you know and uh, you know and I mentioned a butter knife and I you know, or you said something about a butter yeah. knife and then I thought that was a great thing because I said well you know a butter knife could be if it's held to the right place and stuff and obviously, so he has this magical butter knife now. <laughs> which, which I have not yet used because I also have a great big battle axe. <laughs> well, you have, but you've been retconned, hasn't it? Yeah, you did use it, but I got retconned, didn't it? But, uh, yeah. We had to retcon it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing I've wanted to ask is like... Um, how do you learn kind of... I mean, he kind of went out, was was phased out. Um, so you can you don't actually have any people to, to actually teach you other than the Correct. manuals. Whilst like um, Eastern martial arts like Shaolin Kung Fu, Jiu Jitsu, um, Karate, there's always been, there's been a line yeah, of like lineage. of a lineage. So how do you, how what's it like learning from a manual? It's really interesting uh, because like you compare it to Eastern martial arts, like you say you're at uh, like Shaolin Kung Fu. Is a is an is a heritage. It's it's a lineage yeah. that has been passed from master to master. Um, it's it's. Uh, I mean, there are there are written records for Eastern martial arts, sure, but in the main, as you say, it is passed down from person to person, so that the the master is teaching the student. You have got that consistency, and that unbroken line of knowledge from one person to another. Unfortunately, we don't have that. We've got like a 400 year gap between the last master and the next person uh, picking up the art. So um, I'm always minded of Stephen King's quote, not his quote, but in his book on writing, Stephen King refers to the written word as a form of telepathy. And he says, well, essentially, it's my thoughts going into paper to be frozen in time to then come out on into your eyes and into your head so it's 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 not like an instant form of telepathy but it is a form of telepathy so we've got the written word we've got illustrations and it's the task of everyone who encumbers themselves with learning HEMA not just to um, learn from the person who's teaching not just from their instructor but there's a kind of unspoken contract that you're going to learn this and by doing so you're going to offer your your time to help us unto this riddle of what these folks were saying because it's one thing to sort of read something and turn it into uh you know physical movement so taking the written word hold the sword like this and do this it can be interpreted in infinite ways uh, that's after you've translated it from an a very archaic version of Italian in our case, uh, into English. Um, and then you've got to interpret it, you know, as, into your understanding, and then you have to turn it into uh, physical actions. It's just a case of just 
continuously researching, continuously trying things out, comparing it to existing martial arts. So we do a lot of frog DNA, uh, what people call frog DNA, where you take things like sports fencing, which has an unbroken lineage, uh, an, an unbroken tradition of pedagogy and uh, ways of doing things. So you, you can compare, uh, you know, the rapier, um, the rapier movements that were taught by this guy to how sports fences move now. Uh, and you, you take into account what sports fences are trying to achieve and what the guy who was writing the book 400 years ago was trying to achieve. And you try and sort of meet it somewhere in the middle. So that's how we do it. Okay, I mean, also, I mean, you're kind of tra translating um, a static 2D image mm. into a fully movement, into full movement. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm just trying to kind of connect how it all blends together must be yeah. difficult it's difficult because sometimes they draw got they draw a chap with two left hands <laughs> uh, sometimes you know uh there were no editors in those days yeah uh, so there's <laughs> the quality of the writing varies uh you can have a sentence that runs on over a page uh you know with just commas all the way through uh <laughs> I like to think it's because what they're describing is a continuous flow of movement without any pause. But yeah. you know, it's a, you know, it's it's it takes a lot of brain power. It takes a lot of interpretive effort. Um, lots of you know, comparing this person's interpretation, discussing it with that person who's been studying it for X amount of time, looking at the pictures, as you say, taking into account. Um, how the book was written because sometimes uh you can read something through and try and interpret the actions and go hang on a minute that just wouldn't work and there's always the possibility of human error like the guy's written left instead of right <laughs> um <laughs> so it is you know it is uh beset with hurdles but you know that's the kind of challenge because you really really want to work out what they were trying to say and, and try and recreate what they were doing i suppose you have to loop back on your spot as well as different people come to it and new people come in so i was yeah. reading a bit about is it emily wilson who the first woman to do a published translation of the odyssey the other day right. and they were saying that there's traditionally there's been certain parts of the odyssey in the translations which have been because they've always been done by men have been quite harsh in how they describe women right. and female characters so they'll 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 imply that certain females were women of negotiable value, for example. Right. And when you actually look at it, the root of the word actually also translates to things such as a maid or a a servant. And so she'd right. gone through the whole thing, and she kept picking out these places where the whole thing was just skewed and had stayed skewed because people had just kind of run with that being the, the, the way to do it for the last however many hundred years yeah. to make the female members of the cast, so to speak, yeah. quite badly approached. So the, so the whole translation leans in a very different direction and flows a different way. Yeah. Once you've had a fresh pair of eyes, it isn't afraid to say, but but that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so many. So you're, seeing, you're seeing a translation through the lens of the translator. Yeah, exactly. And there's assumptions that you don't you forget people make yeah even just from coming from different trends so you you may have a different approach to something you're looking at from someone who's from germany for example or yeah. from someone who's grown up in california <laughs> yeah i might have a different interpretation from 
you know, if I were to pick up a piece, a piece into what I think the, I might have a different interpretation from someone who is a native Italian speaker, for example, mm. rather than a native English speaker who's, you know, translating it the other way round. In translation, it's always best to get a native speaker, yeah. a mother tongue speaker, to translate the language. So, you know, if, if you want an English translation, you give it to an English person who can speak Italian. Uh, and then, like, I might have a different interpretation of what someone's trying to do compared to someone who speaks Italian and is a sports fencer or yeah. does karate or, yeah. you know, has done, you know, whatever our life experiences are, colour, our you know, mm. our views and, and our understanding, which is why it's really important that the HEMA community as a whole does um, as much research together as they can. That's why, you, like you say, fresh pairs of eyes are really important. It's not one of those things where like, oh, this person's been doing it 20 years, therefore they're the authority on it. Because mm. you, your, inter your understanding of a technique, for example, can change from month to month uh it's like i've always been doing it like this but someone said something to me the other day and, and i've realized actually they meant to do it like that and then it changes the whole perception of, of what the author was trying to achieve so does your muscle memory sometimes come into play there as well that you don't realize that even though you're thinking to yourself at a certain point you twist your wrist because normally yeah. if you were doing that for another thing you'd block that way for example that you realize yeah. that you're in your head you're saying do this but your arms are yeah. just like, hey, I always do this. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think that's why um, one of my contemporary, like, sort of fellow instructors, his name is Keith Farrell, he, he's been quoted as saying, when you train someone to, to do HEMA, you're not teaching a student, you're teaching a future teacher. Because we kind of expect everyone at some point to be able to explain this stuff back to somebody else. So in the future, most people who study HEMA are further down the line going to be teaching it to oh. others because it's such a small community. And, you know, to try and spread this knowledge, we do, you do, um, like you're saying muscle memory, if you're relying on your, if you're becoming an, at any point in your career uh, a teacher, you've got to be able to dissect what you're doing mm -hmm. and think of it. It's a bit like, you know, if you drive to work, that nobody does anymore if you drive somewhere um <laughs> if it's a routine journey you switch off you don't remember it because it's no. it's uh it's it's unconscious competence as it's called whereas if, you, if you're a learner driver it's right i put it into gear look in my mirrors you know you've got all those elements that you have to think about um so yeah it's something that most people who study hema end up being quite conscious of in the end yeah, I mean, I, I did a, a few years back, I did a year of Luda sport when I was working up in London. And they were very big on that concept as well. The idea that you need to understand how it works because it was still getting started and everyone was teaching each other yeah. as much as anything else. Yes, you had someone there teaching the class, but as you did well, you passed it back to try and help other people. So if you were sparring with someone, you didn't just get on with it. And then after, as we to point out, you'd say, I think that's a, bit, a little bit low. Should we try that again? And I just didn't manage to keep up with it, just in terms of job moving around and stuff, which I quite regret. But oh. it did. It was something I enjoyed, partially for the exercise value, partially because of the the intellectual part that mm. you're having to 
figure out it's, it's sort of functional exercise isn't it because you have to be aware of why chess. you're doing it yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, what are tournaments like um, given that there's so much like interpretation in in terms of like the, in of technique how are tournaments scored it depends because we are such a new sport we're not uh governed we don't have any governing bodies so it's a bit no. like the wild west really there's no <laughs> regulation uh there's no regulation of what we do so we're free to do what we want basically um and because because history is so vast um and the world is big <laughs> uh so geography and history are vast so it's you can't really you know, there's been attempts to kind of regulate HEMA, but it's like you'll end up just turning it into sports fencing and make it into sort of one unified system. And it's not really going to work because there's just so many different things within history, so many different systems. But essentially, in terms of tournaments, what tends to happen, at least in the UK, is um, people will draw up rule sets based on um, the teachings of that particular weapon. So, um, for example, it, I've, I've organised about 30 events in my time. Um, for example, like for Longsword, we would have a system where um, if, you, if, you if you cut someone on the arm, that's one point. If you cut them on the head, which is more considered to be more damaging, that's three. Um, so, you know, you could either milk someone for points by just continuously cutting them uh, on the sort of lower scoring targets, or you can go for the big sort of money shot, three, three pointers, which uh, require more skill and because they put you at more risk. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it varies, but depend. yeah, basically, um, competition organizers are free to do what they want but they do tend to all kind of follow a similar pattern so like uh, rapier will be um, similar so a thrust to the chest will score three so a sword passing because a sword passing through your torso would cause more damage whereas a thrust to your arm or whatever would only score one point things like that do you ever kind of mix stars i mean like is it purely like um, rapier versus rapier, or do you have like rapier versus sword and buckler? I mean, cause, like back in many years ago, far more than I can remember, I did t Burning Man, and there's this big oh, yeah. fight club, and it was basically all these different martial artists from uh, from around the world had gathered here. So you had like you know, a shout. Uh, I was doing Shaolin um, Kung Fu against a Thai kickboxer, and then you had someone doing Jiu Jitsu against another who's doing karate. Now, do you ever have that, ever have that kind of com um, intersection of styles or is purely like, you know, rapier versus rapier? Well, you do, like, what you just described, having, like, jiu-jitsu versus karate or whatever, that is how MMA started yeah. out. Yeah. You would yeah. have a boxer versus a kickboxer, and then over time everyone realised, right, the most... Um, the most uh, efficient way to do it is like this, so combining these elements of, of all these different fighting styles, and you ended up with a kind of unified um, method of, of, of fighting. Uh, in HEMA, mixed weapon tournaments do happen, but they are not quite as... Um, what's how shall I say it? They're not 
they're not they haven't got quite as big a following as single weapon tournaments so the most the ones that are the biggest draws are long sword tournaments you tend to get up to 100 sometimes more competitors for that especially on the continent um russia places like that you have very very big tournaments for that i took part in a very small uh tournament mixed weapons tournament in dublin early last year before the lockdown happened went to uh, a really fun event there and they they always have a mixed they always have a, a mixed weapons uh, rapier tournament so it can be a rapier plus something else uh and uh some people went rapier and cloak some people went rapier and buckler which is a small handheld shield um and i my favorite thing and I argue it's because of my height disadvantage, is two rapiers. Yeah. Rapier and rapier <laughs> is my favourite. And it's okay. great fun. How many have you won? How many tournaments have you won? I haven't actually counted, to be honest. I've got a fair <laughs> number <many>. of bronzes. <laughs> <laughs> but wins, uh, I haven't sat down and worked it out. I've won like um I've I've done well in, in women's tournaments um, in the past. Um, I'm not getting any younger, so I don't know how much longer I can continue competing. And it's difficult now because, you know, nobody can meet and compete anyway. But most people in the HEMA community are kind of like hoping, you know, that it will all go back to some semblance of how it was and we will be able to practice just like anyone who does any sport um is hoping that we will be able to uh but yeah i i honestly don't know it's not something i've counted <laughs> so i put that down as that many <laughs> no because basically what, what i want to ask was like do you ever find yourself kind of watching a show or a film and if you're going Ooh, no, oh no, you don't want to do that. I was I was I was proper like I watched um Nightfall. Like I actually was watching Vikings, finished watching Vikings, and I was watching Nightfall as well. And both of them, as much as I enjoyed them, were like hist- the history part of me was just going, no, 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 no. And I was getting so I was sort of kind of going, no, was, my girl my girlfriend's just like, what are you? I'm just like, that wouldn't happen. There's no way that guy's sword's going through full plate mail. That's not happening. There's no way this is happening and stuff. And it's just like and it's like, you know, and what annoys me is in um in all these battle scenes they have you know shield walls are important and they just they don't care about the shield wall so they literally do that initial shield wall and then it's like a few arrows hit them and then they all break up as individuals and just fight like they're individuals like that would never happen and it's like in nightfall which is which it's a shame it's not it's they're not doing another series of it but it's like they've got these these um, Templar knights, and they're all they're talking about interlocking shields and work, working as one as a formation, and then they just break up. No helmets, no nothing, <laughs> just sort of kind of one on one fighting each other. And I'm just like, what are you doing? That's just you're gonna get yourself killed. <laughs> it's just that's not how it works. Forty k, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just <laughs> take your helmets off and run at people. <laughs> it's just like it's one of my little frustrations, and it's like I was watching uh, I was watching some LARP, LARP battles, and uh, I, I think we talked about. About this to uh, about uh to katie davis when she was on but it's like 
it seems that everybody just does their own thing and there's no cohesion and it's like it's one thing that frustrates me like when we're doing like well paintball or when we're playing games and stuff like that if you're in a team and there's like you know it's like you know um weight of fire or you know protection group protection and stuff is the best way but if people start running off on their own it's just like what there is a reason for that is because LARPers have not been training together for years. They've basically met up for a weekend and gone, right, I want to kill a monster. And they have not had that kind of that <laughs> ingrained combined training that you get with yeah. military units. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I watch a show like um, with the, on the Marvel TV shows, um, Iron Fist. Uh, and I'm just like I come from a background in Shannon Kung and I'm, I'm just crawling going nope 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 oh, that the, okay maybe thing? yeah, yeah it was uh... just so much of it I was just going nope in second season he was much better at it he had really he's done some intensive training but then I watch a show like um, Into the Badlands where they got Daniel Wu in it who is a trained martial artists and you can tell i mean what shows do you recommend for like you know okay they've hit the nail on the head in terms of sword fighting or are we kind of barking up the wrong tree here well i think you know whatever your specialism is whether you're a historian or whether even if you're like i'll give you an example a friend of mine uh alec mckee is uh, i think he's a locksmith right he's an author as well and even he was like, you, you see people picking locks in films and you're like, oh, you wouldn't do it like that. It doesn't <laughs> or I've seen lift engineers saying, you know, there are like four fail safes on a lift. It's never going to fall down the lift shaft, you know, you know, whatever your kind of area of expertise, it just kills the movie magic for you. True. Um, hacker, hacker movies, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Hacker. Nope. We're not going there. Nope. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't resist. We have don't you, talk about swordfish, right? <laughs> have you what? Well, there's two things actually. Um, apparently, and obviously, it's not sword fighting, but the general fighting style in it apparently is meant to be quite accurate. Is in the John Wick films, um, they've made that quite real. As in the the weapons um, they use, uh, they run out of he bullets. He never reloads his gun. It does reload. Oh, it, it does oh, reload his gun. They he? make they make a point of always okay. he he picks up somebody else's gun or he reloads oh, his gun yeah. he always makes yeah. a point because he's yeah. it's to make it more real and they they uses all the sort of kind of the judo stuff and the um yeah. you know and it feels it, you could tell it feels a bit more realistic you know as much as it's stylized but it's still you know it feels a bit more realistic and him as a guy ken reeves as somebody who can use his weapons you've have you seen him in the in the gun range doing the, the oh yeah, the yeah. so videos are good. like yeah, yeah. It's impressive so like. good yeah so impressive um but on the other on the flip side i was watching um is it is it the king is it it's basically about henry it's henry v um uh battle of agincourt it's on it's on netflix um Hmm. i can't remember the name of the actor uh he's a he's oh timothy uh he's french yeah well he's a french canadian or is he french canadian -Canadian. yeah or he's american but his mom's french but he speaks french which is good It was really good, but it's your man Patterson. It's Patterson, isn't it? Patterson. They've got an English actor playing the French yeah. king. Yeah, and and it, a French actor playing the. Yeah, but it's like that. That annoyed me because, like, 
the Battle of Agincourt and stuff. And I appreciate it's based on Henry V, the Shakespearean play, so it's not going to be fully historically accurate but they just bastardized it completely and stuff there's like there's there's so much of it it's wrong bar the fact that it rained maybe and then i was just like what 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 are you doing and stuff and it's just like it just sort of it boggled my mind and i was sitting there kind of going i i want to enjoy this film but i can't because the history side of me is just going that's ridiculous that's never gonna happen (laughs) they're not gonna do that and it's like yeah and, and, well, I saw a cartoon that someone did. I think it was a Hema person. They did a, a little comic strip, and it was people. It was a. It was two people looking, watching a TV show. And that would never happen. That's not correct. That's historically inaccurate. Someone else comes up to them and goes, uh, "Why are you hating on this show so much?" Mm. I said, "Because we enjoy it." <laughs> so the come the, the it come it becomes a sport in itself to pick things apart. You know. Uh, no show is ever gonna tick every single box and get everything perfectly accurate. They are portraying something. They are entertaining, yeah. and I think on some level, when we see stuff and it's wrong, a little part of us, I spotted that. I know that that's wrong, yeah. and it feels like a little yeah, look at me go. You know, it's a little point of pride that I'm I'm able to sort of notice that this thing isn't quite right. It's um, like weird comes... suspension of disbelief, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Willing suspension of disbelief. Like once you've got, you know, once you've got insider knowledge on something, it does take a hefty amount of lifting to suspend that disbelief. After a while, it's like I really want to enjoy this show. So yeah, let's 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 just go with that. Let's just say that's how you make swords, and let's because that's magic, you know. Like uh, and and you know, Jedi fighting and Sith fighting works because they can see into the future. That's why they spin and stuff because they know uh, every single possible yeah. action that could happen, so it's fine. Yeah, I uh, um, I um, I've got to this point now where if I watch a, a historically based film or series, that I have to tell myself before the start, say, "Look, just enjoy it for the romp. Don't don't bother." Yes. You know, so it's like like Nightfall. I loved, but it's just like yeah. you know, and it, it was quite you know dramatic, but it was just like you know. I had to turn myself off. The history side of me had to be completely turned off because it's just like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I did enjoy it. Um, So I've told myself, it, it's just like, right, it's just a romp. My only issue is, and I was sort of kind of debating writing an article on it, is like, I, I feel that too much of history is dramatized or, you know, <clears throat> it... it it, it, it's sort of dramatized in a nationalistic way or it's dramatized in a way to make you know one side look better than the other or mm. things to look a bit more sort of like epic than they were and stuff and it sort of mm. kind of takes the it takes the edge off not the edge it takes off um people's ability to understand yeah. what happened and it's like mm. you know i appreciate and i'm not trying to say people are thick or anything i'm just saying people yeah. just want to be fed things they don't want it you know if you're not into history you're not going to go and read it and i love history and i will read i've got many many books ranging from a classical period to the modern era and, I, and i've read all of them and you know i'll happily read stuff on wikipedia and google and and if i'm wrong about something read it and another book about it and go, oh, i didn't i didn't realize that but as a lot of people they just want to watch something and go well that, yeah. that must be history and that annoys me especially when you get sort of overly dramatized things because people turn around to me and have had discussions with people um 
who will go, yeah, but such and such, this happened, or uh, the the French did this, or the such and such, this. I said, did they really? Or did you just watch that in a film? And that's yeah. the way you take it. And it annoys me because it's used so much as a sort of argument when you're on Facebook. It's like, well, this happened. It's like, no, that happened in Braveheart, but that didn't really happen in real life. <laughs> and it's just it's like, like the show, uh, The Crown, they had yeah. to make a statement, didn't they? Like, you know, by the way, this isn't actual history. This is a dramatic... Inspired by it, yeah. Inspired by historical events kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. but even so, it's like... I appreciate you want to make things interesting for people, but it's like, you know, what? what's the the main, the, the, the massive sort of... Um, bastardization of uh is it you is it you but is it you 57 the enigma machine or the, the machine one yeah where basically the they just said the americans found it and it's just like they they didn't and it's much it's not meant to be about national pride <laughs> like, but it's like you're did, literally like re- later on didn't they they yeah. used it as the excuse for how they knew yeah they, but they'd actually been doing it for like two years yeah at and that it, point. It's, it's just, just like just... i don't understand that that doesn't that ups, that sort of upsets me it's like because i understand like in things like nightfall or in in um in vikings you know they just or in game of thrones you, you know you they're quite you know not the shortest and you want the battles to sort of flow and you don't want to have this sort of kind of slogging line of guys poking you know swords over and under it would you know you're not going to get any excited so i understand that but when you sort of have things which are historically sort of written and they're not going to make a difference really to the to the film then why why change them and it's just like you're basically giving people who want to be fed history you know a, a fake lies. lies yeah and I, that really frustrates me and it's just like and so many times i've had debates with people and they've thrown history facts up and then the history movie facts at me and i'm just like that didn't happen that's not yeah. true <laughs> It's just like yeah, it's a quite a blurring, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's and fiction. Yeah, it's the geeky version of watching Arnie movies and saying, "How did he get up after someone just shot him in the arm with a twenty millimeter cannon?" <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he should have like everything missing from here, and he gets up and goes bandage. There's and well, there are like a few inc- incidences where they kind of nailed down the kind of practical accuracy. Then to tell a fictional tale, I mean, a classic one for me is Mr. Robot. Completely fictional tale, but the, the hacking is completely spot on. I'm going, yep. Mr. Yep, Robot yep. was like, awesome. As, so good. as Mark's inferred, I do cover cybersecurity. And yet the, like all the hacking and the security techniques is pretty much spot on. And I mean, just one like, like from your perspective, Fran, are, are you kind of yeah. watching any show that said... Yeah, that fight is good. Yep, yeah, I'd do yeah, that. Oh, what, what HEMA friendly films? Yeah. Oh, what are HEMA friendly films? <laughs> <that> part... <laughs> so, so HEMA friendly shows or films that pass the grade. Yeah. Um, make the grade. Uh, right. The num- sort of the main ones that people cite and that I I, I enjoy are The Duelists uh, with uh, is with Harvey Keitel yeah, and yeah, David yeah. Carradine. Okay. So I think that was a um, Napoleonic. Yeah. Is is that is based on history? So yeah. that is, is about two Napoleonic uh, officers who had a dispute, and they had a duel, and nobody won, and they went off, and they just kept meeting these two chaps. They just kept they had a, a 
they had a vendetta basically they had the, an argument and it went on for a decade and neither of them could kill each other <laughs> um <laughs> so they just kept meeting and it's a, such a fantastic ex excuse to show some beautiful it's a ridley scott film i think ah. uh, to show some fantastic fencing so it starts off at the beginning with a on a farm in uh, France somewhere and the, it, at dawn and there's two guys with small swords um, dueling and then there's a, a very bloody scene in a barn with sabres um, and there's, there's just loads and loads of these fights and these two guys failing to kill each other but it's all based on true, true history. Um, <laughs> so that's one example. Another one would be um, the Capitan Alatriste movie which is weird it's a spanish language film starring vigo mortensen oh. who it turns out was raised in i think he was brought up in um somewhere in a south american country i think he was in argentina or chile or somewhere like that but he's, he's fluent in spanish um so he played the protagonist captain alatriste and it was actually i think it was a series of uh novels that was written maybe within the last century um about this chap but it's set in um the, the late 1500s early 1600s in spain um or oh, the reconquest the what sorry the reconquest so basically against the moors and uh the so basically the christian states trying to take yeah on, so yeah. it starts off uh, starts off uh, a battle in uh, the Netherlands. Oh, um, okay. So it is like, yeah, there's a, uh, there's even like the sort of military stuff in that is is pretty good, as far as I know. I don't know. I don't really do that much military history. But the one to the sort of civilian fighting, the the rapier and dagger fighting in that is really good. Particularly, you know, when you say like they get like, the details correct like you've got a spanish fencer facing off against an italian fencer so you get to see the two different styles meeting uh so they both fence in, in different ways and it's it was done very very well um and vigo mortensen is a brilliant not only a good actor but he's a good uh stunt performer as well like like keanu reeves he does all his own fighting and uh and stuff so it's really good to see cool um, okay. TV shows, I'm not quite sure because it's difficult with TV shows because they they're very limited on uh, time, aren't they? Yeah, time budget. Um, Sharp always had good I mean, sort of Yeah, yeah, good old Sean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't say, even if he was, he was the worst swordsman ever. And he generally, he was just, he had his two-handed, you know, a heavy uh, cavalry sword and stuff, but, um, you know. One of the advantages he had was he wasn't supposed to know what he was doing with it, was he? Yeah, yeah. He wasn't a gentleman. <laughs> he just got given something big and sharp and pointy, and he yeah. figured that if, it's, if, it, if it ended up poking out the other side, he'd done the right thing. <laughs> he was always so, getting kicked. Uh, I, he was I'm always... getting that um, Game of Thrones a bit, saying, oh, no, I have to look away when, when they're fighting. But I remember watching um, Gwendolyn Christie and uh, my William, uh, that one scene where Arya and um, oh, what's her name, Brienne, have a, a little sort of fight in the courtyard, and the 
amount of training that they put in for that was was brilliant. I mean, it's not based on anything. Maybe it is it is just for show, but the, the skill involved and the discipline uh, to to do that scene really well was quite impressive. They could have just got some 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 fighting doubles to do it, but they did it themselves, and it was really good to see. Have you ever have you ever been hurt while while doing it? As in, and when you're when you're fighting, is it is is it sort of? I'm assuming it it's more to do with um target than sort of oh what's the word than sort of broad well, strength and stuff like that so is it is it less likely that you're going to get hurt while while doing hema than say how much of a contact how much of a contact sport is it basically yeah. you get bruised yeah. you get bruised you can break your fingers you can break your nose wow. um you're less you're in less danger than if you were playing rugby or horse riding i'd say because right. um, uh, you know, I, I, the the real sort of the most common injuries: broken fingers, uh, or, or probably before that, bruises. You know, uh, we do wear like oh, I've got my my trousers up on the wall here. We do wear like padded um, gear. Oh, okay. Just about to see my trousers there, uh, or it's all blurred out in the background. So we do wear a lot of um, protective gear, but it's not like ACL folks who are like in literally wearing metal armor um that is a whole uh, whole nother branch of hema in itself the armored fighting which is very different from what you see uh with the bish bash bosh people um but um yeah so there are it is a martial art it's sports fencing itself is very strongly um I think the last time someone died in sports fencing was 1982 when their foil snapped and it broke and it went through someone's mask, oh. went through his head. Um, so, you know, the, the, the safety measures around sports fencing are very, very strict. So mm. fencing masks are almost over-engineered for safety. Um, all the other gear we wear is... Uh, it's it's fairly padded, but it's not like um, it's not like armor, as I say. So you 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 do the biggest sort of um, safety measure that we have is control. So if you think about people who are doing stage combat, they have enormous amounts of control. So they're able to look as though they're stabbing and cutting one another and stop it like a hair's breadth from the other person. Um, in HEMA, you're actually hitting it other uh you don't want to break your toys so to speak so you do want to be able to get up and go to work or school the next day but you it is a martial art like if you were doing taekwondo or something mm. you'd expect to get a few knocks now and again so it, it does happen i suppose yeah. you need the i suppose you kind of need the pain for you to be better at something because if you're if you're not getting <laughs> hurt then you're just going to well prime example is um when i was young or a young rugby player and stuff back in my school days um i used to just charge in and just tackle mm-hmm. anybody and mm-hmm. you know if, if it was smart or not and then one day i got really badly hurt and i was like i'm gonna learn a lesson from that and um so uh, I, I became a, a more strategic uh, tall, tackler than just knocking anybody down. Um, yeah. So I think the pain maybe sort of helps, possibly. Yeah, I don't recommend pain as a, as a teaching method, but <laughs> uh, I, 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 I do call, like, if you get a strike to the mask, it's not going to hurt so much, but then you've got the sort of 
you've got the issues of uh, concussion. So yep. Concussion is a real is a real possibility mm. when you're striking someone in the head with a four foot piece of metal. Um, the so energy's got to go somewhere, right? Yeah, so that has to go somewhere. Uh, the, the, the mask will take some of it out. You've got to sort of try and arrest some of it, but you know you can't you can't you know stop every kind of thing injury, and you can't rely a hundred percent on your gear. So it is kind of like having to be controlled and uh you know what you said about pain teaching you i remember when i started him and it happens with a lot of people you end up with sort of tiger stripes along your thighs uh from where people are chopping at your legs and that will go on for a while until you learn to defend your legs and then you don't get those uh those marks anymore so you know it does kind of remind you you need to protect your legs <laughs> by being hit in the legs being hit in the head all the time is a really good way to learn to protect your head. Um, what, what is the biggest noob move? So, somebody starting, uh, what what do they all do? What what what's the big mistake they always make? Uh, stepping before they move their sword. So, uh, hat the when you when you go to cut someone with a sword, you should be moving your arm first and then stepping, or at the similar time. What people tend to do is go forward, step. Then and then sword. Uh, and stepping forward is just like a way of saying stab me um, and that's what happens and that's the most <laughs> common mistake people make it's a, easily done and yeah. they're not in any danger but eventually they'll sort of learn oh I shouldn't do that and everyone even like if they've, they've been practicing for years everyone will do that you know now and again put their foot forward before they should and get rightly stabbed in the head <laughs> Oh dear. Um, not quite related to that, just something that occurred to me. Um, on the sci-fi side of things, one of the big films that they pushed back from last year to this year is June. Oh, and, yeah. and have you ever read the books or watched yes. the old film? And so yeah. I've always wondered, from from an intellectual point of view, they obviously have this concept in June of the slow the slow strike, don't they? Because they have these shields yeah. and the the very gentleman's approach to using the sword to try and get it through the shield thing do yeah. you do, do you and others kind of ever sit down and go well how would that work just as an intellectual <laughs> exercise blade, blade penetrates the shield yeah the the dune references permeate hema <laughs> a, a, a friend of mine i was watching her live stream last night she's published a book on how to run a hema club and how to create a good uh, training environment and it's called fear is the mind killer <laughs> um so yeah we we it's like the the venn diagram of um sci-fi nerds uh fantasy nerds and hema is basically a circle so, uh, <laughs> it, it comes up an awful lot but i mean there's no kind of historical references for it but something that did make me think of uh, <laughs> the slow blade penetrates the shield was um Something in a very it is a very modern uh, application is uh, non-Newtonian fluids. <laughs> so yes. non-Newtonian slap non-Newtonian uh, materials are starting to uh, be used more in HEMA as a protective kind of layer. And as you say, when you strike a non-Newtonian uh, when you st strike a non-Newtonian material quickly, it becomes solid. And it forms a shield, whereas if you push through it slowly, it stays liquid and. Oh, so it's like the kinetic sand you get. Where slowly. You... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is a non-Newtonian fluid. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, speaking of like uh, the Venn diagram between sci-fi nerds and Hera, I think the first time we met was at uh, Edgelit, where yes. you di- where you were giving a presentation on um, <laughs> like you know, real world um, sword fighting, which I found was like, and then let, let a load of writers that have been near the bar loose with a load of swords, which I thought was incredibly dangerous. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was the yeah. writers the bar and their editors yes swords and alcohol <laughs> goes down very well pointed contract negotiation yeah? <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean yeah. like yeah it was like it but it's, it's very empowering when you got a hold of the sword and go right yeah. who's first yeah <laughs> yeah that was uh was that the one uh in where was that about three Maybe four years ago, something like that. Is that in Birmingham? No, um, Derby. Derby, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done, I've done um, a couple of fantasy cons uh, where I've done a a, a panel on uh, like real world. You know, would this work? Would this situation work? And one of my favourite moments at one of those events was uh, afterwards. We all got ushered. We got ushered out. It was uh, me. Juliet, oh gosh, um, and Adrian Tchaikovsky, and uh, we were talking about, um, you know, what would this work? What, what's historically accurate, whatever. And we all got ushered out of the hall because the next p- bunch of panelists were coming in. We ended up in this sort of ante room between the bar and this that the previous room, and I had a bag of weapons and a bunch of people. <laughs> sort of authors sort of gathered around me and they were like I've got this fight scene and I want to know if this would work and so between the three of us we acted out everybody's fight scene for them <laughs> and told them if it would work or not that's awesome that's uh, such a good way to get yeah that's so good <laughs> that's such a good idea <laughs> or suggested you I wouldn't do it that way I would do it this way uh sort of you know that's not realistic but you could change it tweak it slightly have another option so that was a fun thing to do that reminds me we were there for about twice as long as the actual panel i think (laughs) that reminds me of a joke about the serial killer and the writer getting married because it's the perfect the perfect match because he'd come she'd come up with ideas and he'd disappear come back saying yeah that worked perfectly (laughs) think about tweaking that (laughs) as he he finished cleaning his hands off you know (laughs) wow wow so um other, other than other than um, stabbing people with pointy pointy metal things, uh, what what other what other hobbies and stuff do you have? Well, I started off writing, and I fell down this rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to write a novel in 2010, um, and it's been put on hold because I took up sword fighting in the meantime. I have done. Uh, I've been published a few times. I've done a few short stories. I will pick up. The novel writing again you wrote uh, asian monsters didn't you yeah i had a story in asian monsters that was really fun that was my first um adventure into horror um because i'd only ever done uh sort of um speculative like specific uh real world or fantasy world uh secondary world stories up until then so that was a fun one that was that was set in hong kong um but yeah it was it was fun one to do uh, sort of cons- I never considered myself to be a horror writer but it was drawing on my Asian heritage because my mum's from the Philippines and my 
cousin lived in Hong Kong at the time. So she was a brilliant uh, sort of source for me. I was like, if you travel on the underground in Hong Kong, do they do the announcements in English or do they, you know, do they do them in, uh, in, in Chinese? It's like, well, they, first they do them in English. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was, it was, that was a fun thing to do. Um, and because, of course, like the, the mythology uh, that I drew upon for that was from the Philippines. So it was um, when I was a kid growing up, it's funny that I didn't think, consider myself to be a horror writer because I was really into like ghosts and monsters and werewolves and things when I was a, in my early teens and, and <laughs> sort of the supernatural um, Buffy and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> she's 40 now. I know, Buffy. it's mad. You, can, know. you go back to some of these people and they're oh, like, God. you watch, you watch some of these programs and you're, they're your age now and you're just like, oh my God, I feel sprawled. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's, yeah, it's quite terrifying. He's not a teenager anymore. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> Uh, it's mad. But yeah, that was that was a fun one to do um, because uh, it it was fun to sort of delve into my mum's cultures of of uh, sort of like the supernatural and like our understanding from Western, our sort of uh, you know our sort of culture of horrors mm. all based on things like Dracula, things like that, mm. rather than a mythology, which is mm. what sort of other cultures draw upon. Cat. Yeah, sorry, this is Tally. She, she, she tends to demand hugs occasionally. Her brother's in the other room with my wife. You know, we adopted them just before Christmas a year and a bit ago now. So My cat yeah. was briefly down here, but then the dog stirred and he buggered off upstairs because <laughs> they don't get on, unfortunately. Oh, dear. <laughs> Two little dogs, but I'm surprised they haven't tried to batter my door down yet. Oh, what have you got? What sort of, dog, what, what sort of dogs do you have? I've got two little tiny ones. I've I've got a chug, which is a pug. Um, Chihuahua pug? And, Chihuahua. My yeah, mate's got a so chug. It's like, yeah, she looks a bit like a pug that's been shrunk down to A5. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or a chihuahua with too much skin. <laughs> Scary thought. Yeah, she's just got a lot of rolls. Um, <laughs> and then my other dog, Cookie, she's a... We think she's a... A Padengo Pequeño, which is a Spanish breed, uh, tiny little dog, long skinny legs. She she's black like your cat, and with these big bat ears like this. And, oh, um, yeah. she, we got her from. They're both rescues. Uh, Cookie was uh, on death row basically in Spain. She was eight months old um, and about to be euthanized, and she was rescued by uh, Sussex Small Dogs mm -hmm. Rescue. Um, she's a Great little charity, so very lucky to have her. And what's yeah, the chug, what's the chug called? Peach. Peach. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got to think about naming my dogs after food. Oh, I thought you, you <laughs> named them after sort of like uh, you know rapier masters or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Don well, Juan, you know. Don Juan, oh yeah. Or Alfieri, or yeah. So she, so Peach, when we got her, she was called Princess, and my kids <laughs> didn't like the name. And I said, we don't want to change her name too much because she won't respond. So why don't we change it to Princess something like Princess Leia or Princess, Princess Peach. Zena. Princess Pe oh, Peach, yeah. So we ended up with Princess Peach. So she's just Peach now. Oh. So I suppose we're quite lucky. The other one is Mushroom. Mushroom? <laughs> yeah. If it was a boy, you could have called it Wesley from uh, the, the Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. And how has how is lockdown affected you and him obviously you can't meet up to like to stab people but 
how have you kind of adapted to lockdown and quarantines? Well, my main lockdown project uh, has been a podcast, but it started off as a live stream. I was doing a live stream twice a week because one of my events that I've organised since 2017 is a HEMA event for women. Uh, one, so it's women attendees and women instructors because I'm trying to sort of elevate women within um, within the HEMA community. Martial arts is, is a mostly uh, sphere, as in the most people who do martial arts. Uh, HEMA is no exception. Uh, and I kind of want to promote more female and now non-binary as well so I've opened it up to non-binary folks as well so it's women and, and uh, gender minorities um, so I'm, I'm trying to sort of elevate uh, women instructors in particular because if people see women instructors that inspires them to keep going and to sort of become yeah. an instructor themselves um, so I was supposed to do an event last March uh, with approximately 100 people attending and it didn't happen like a lot of conventions and things didn't happen so I thought well I'll just interview my instructors instead I'll just talk to them if we can't have classes with them and then I ran out of people to talk to <laughs> so I I found all the previous instructors from the previous years that I'd done the event and then I just started doing you know what I'm on a roll here so I've been interviewing uh people every week and i've i think i've done my 60th interview <laughs> this evening. i don't even know if we've got 60 podcasts i'm trying to figure it out <laughs> <laughs> so i did my 60th interview and, and and about sort of halfway into this one someone said to me uh because what i was the, the format of the, the interviews was on instagram live not everyone's got instagram and not everyone's got the time to sit down and watch a video for an hour so um I started a Patreon to uh, enable me to um, get the thing converted into podcasts. Yeah. So I've been that's been my my sort of second thing in the in the in lockdown two was to turn um, all of the interviews into podcasts. And here we are in lockdown version three point um, My my current <coughs> venture is I'm teaching people online. Because I haven't been able to, well, I did manage to get out and in the summer when we were able to meet up in the groups of six, I was able to teach five of my students in, at a time in the park. Now it's only one person. Um, I can teach one person at a time in the park, but it's not very efficient. So I'm now, I don't know, I, I honestly don't know why I didn't think of it sooner, but a lot of people in the human community have been teaching over Zoom even before COVID hit. Um, it, it means you can reach a bigger audience uh, in different time zones, different countries. Um, so that's so. What, that's been my latest thing. So I, I, I'm teaching people online now, and I'm and I'm loving it, absolutely <laughs> loving it. I suppose also with the as you were saying, with the the community being quite widely spread and diverse, getting mm -hmm. into that side of things allows you to cross pollinate um, different ideas and run stuff past each other. So someone can maybe do an, an individual lesson with someone mm. in something because they're yeah. not sure about a particular area or they want to test yeah. out a theory. Yeah. Whereas it's a bit cheaper than catching catching a, a flight across the world and finding a hotel room, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. And, and and I'm thinking like a lot of uh, conventions are starting to go online as well. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. you can have a lesson, as you say, you can have a lesson with someone without having to leave your country or even your living room. Um, 
lots of, you know things like panels don't have to be done in person they can be done online mm. um have you thought about some of the teaching platforms as well i know i've seen somewhere you know traditionally that you know they'll, they'll teach you like how to use programs and things like that but i've seen some starting to run teaching certain other teaching skills or doing sort of basics of martial arts and stuff where you can record it all once and yeah. you have an income stream coming back from it regularly mm. as people subscribe because you get a percentage back or they pay x amount for it or whatever i mean i'd be surprised would be surprised if more people looked if that might not be an option from your side of things from yeah. because lots of you with different fringe interests or specific ideas would might be maybe able to sort of get back some recurring interest that way as well yeah be a, that's, a, that's not a bad shout i mean i resisted teaching online because uh, i thought i don't want to do a zoom uh, class to a bunch of people uh, of me doing something and then watching mm. because when i'm teaching a group of people i like to be able to go around and just like tweak them you know mm. like uh, just put your arm like that kind of thing and uh, and then just sort of encourage or whatever and it's harder to do over, over zoom because i can't give that feedback because you've got a tiny little like tiny little image to sort of look at but in one-to-one classes i was, I was uh, saying to one of my students today she said to me rather she said honestly this is just like having you in the room there's no difference other than we can't touch blades um it is uh so having that feedback is important to me however what you're saying about just being able to show a concept mm. being able to go through an idea of a very straightforward mm. uh simple idea with someone that they can then take on board and uh, work with is not a bad shout and also they can always contact you afterwards for one-to-one yeah. lessons yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to ask as well he said he did like you know, the saw play in, in here in the park what's been the response by the general public seeing the, you in like you know in full armor and like mm. a assortment of swords yeah it's fun on a sunday in particular you got what i call the dad whiplash effect so <laughs> There'll be mum, the kids, and, and they'll be walking along, and dad will go. <laughs> mum will, will probably look up, clock it, and just keep going, but uh, uh, the kids That's might sex. run over and look, but dad will kind of do a lot of double takes. <laughs> I love kids, they just have zero, they have zero sort of inner monologue. They're literally, they just say what they want to say. So when, I, when I'm walking balls around, and he's like a Tibetan massive, so he's a massive dog. And there's just no, it's like, mommy, look at that massive bear. And it's like, what's that? It's a lion. <laughs> and it's just like, they don't, they don't sort of, they don't even whisper. They just sort of shout it out. And you're just like, yeah. He's getting like a fluffy collar. Yeah. Like, <laughs> around like that to make you look even more. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Just need to train that dog to uh, make me more money. That's, you know. <laughs> He owes me big at the minute. He's, he's destroyed many doors and things, and he just, you know, he's to pay his way. I think. Have you have you seen any of the silver sabers? This kind of light uh, lightsaber inspired fencing. What's your take on that? Like Ludisport. Oh, the lightsaber type stuff. Um, yeah, because that was what uh, Ludisport was. That I did. Ludisport. Yeah. Uh, it's not my, It's not for me. But yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not knocking anyone who does it because it looks. It looks like fun. Right. Uh, it it's lightsabers. Like it's lightsabers. You're bashing each other with lightsabers. Um, I think it's it's nice way for lots of people to 
um, do an activity that is engaging. Yeah. Because I don't know about you folks, but I find the gym really dull. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I um, one of you asked me earlier if I was ever into. I thought you were going to ask me if I was ever into martial arts. The answer is no. I never. I was the kid who had a note to get out of PE. <laughs> <laughs> like laminated almost so i had a reason like every week i say to my mum please can you say i can't do pe because of this i just hated 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 physical activity whereas now i'm, I'm lifting up things and putting them down again mm. so that i can get strong enough to do the thing that i really enjoy um and i think if you can find an activity that engages your mind as well as your body which is where I think people who love the gym, not to knock people who love the gym or gym activity, what people tend to like about the gym is, is it becomes a kind of meditative thing for them. Yeah. Or it's like, a, I have a physical need to exercise and it's like going into the zone. I'm not one of those people. I have to, I can't engage with what I'm doing unless um, I can take my mind off the fact that it's making me fit. So something like Ludo sports, something like lightsaber is a game. And it's like when you're a kid again, like I say, when you're in the kid, when you're in the woods as a kid, you pick up a stick and you run around till you're breathless and you have a load of fun and you don't even realise that you're, mm. you know, pumping your heart and, and yeah. elevating your heart rate. You're just enjoying it. And I, that, I think that's what I think what, what fails a lot of people at school in terms of physical education is finding an activity that they truly a physical activity that they truly love and i think lightsaber is is something that can fulfill that for a lot of people yeah i mean like um i hate i tried going to a gym once many years ago back when i actually had a proper job and not freelancing now mm. and a busy and i hated it i absolutely hated it mm. um but then, but then I got myself a bike and I thought, yeah, this is much better because, and yeah, I'm riding a bike pretty much every week more if, if I can, whether permitting. But I think one thing that what you're saying about how it engages the mind or the body. Um, I did LARPing for the first time about five years ago and I was running around at the height of summer in full length leather armour, charging around attacking monsters and I must have sweated buckets. I must have. <laughs> Because like, it was just drenched and oh man and yeah and it's like okay yeah I could see how you can get fit doing this yeah it's because yeah. your mind it's your mind isn't it your mind is completely elsewhere and stuff like it's engaged yeah it's engaged. it's engaged it's just like I like I I go through periods of going to the gym a lot um, I haven't been so like I lockdowns just been an excuse not to go or do things and stuff even yeah. though my work will give us like three hundred quid towards sort of. Um, you know, uh, gym stuff, gym memberships. And even I found out I can buy gym equipment for the house and they'll pay for it, uh, which I might do. But I, I would go through, I would go every lunchtime um, and I hate, like I could do weights. And the way I justify the weights is because you could kind of feel something out of it. Because when you were, you were doing weights and stuff, even when you'd finish, you you know, the guns would look slightly bigger or you, you'd feel like, you know, you'd achieve something. Whereas, some yeah, running, when you're running and stuff, you're just like, I f I'm just don't feel like I'm going to get anything. And I get bored. And when you start getting bored, you start thinking about the pain. And when you start thinking about the pain, then you're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm bored now. Yeah. But I, there's been times when I've, you know, 
I've had a bad day or I've been thinking about something completely else and I've, I've zoned out and then I'll look down and I've been running for like, you know, 20 minutes and I'm just like, holy shit, what, what just happened? Why can't I just zone myself into that? And that's the same, like, if you're into something, like you're really into yeah. it, you sort of kind of zone out and you don't really feel it as much, I think. Uh, so if you're really into a sport or if you're really into, uh, like, you know, um, a martial art uh, or HEMA or something like that, you know, you, you, you know, it's a really good way to sort of uh, exercise yeah. yourself because you're not you're not thinking about it. You're 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 you thinking about doing something you enjoy. You're yeah. not thinking about the time. You're not thinking, oh god, I have to do this for another hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, That's like I used key. to get that with the Luda sport. I did it for a year, and I was working in London at the time, and it's like an hour an hour on the train, an hour on the underground, and then getting back and stuff like that. And you do three hours at the end of work, then you'd be on the train on the way back. You're like, oh my god, this hurts. But the next <laughs> week you go back. And you're just going through it and you don't think about that bit because you're in that thing and you go, you're excited enough to go back because you're looking forward to the bit. And the bit at the end of it gets easier, as you said, but you don't notice that really because you're, you're driven by the wanting to do the bit and everything yeah. else is that little bit of a price you pay because yeah. you're doing something you enjoy that just happened to, as you said, be making your body actually give a shit, give a shit and um, get better at it. <laughs> The guy who uh, came up with the concept of flow state, he's a Hungarian chap. His name, I can't remember how it is, but it sounds like cheese sent me higher. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I have to look it up, but the flow state, the state of being in the zone, uh, uh, is when the activity becomes the reward. So you're not doing it because, oh, I'll lose weight or I'll you know, I'll get stronger. It's just I enjoy what I'm doing, and uh, that is the kind of goal of any kind of. It can't. Be, it could be anything. It can be driving. It could be knitting. It could be fencing. It could be uh, playing a computer game, cooking. Any of those things where the thing that you're doing just brings you pleasure, um, and you're you're just in that moment, fully enjoying it, and everything else is kind of driven out of your mind. Well, lady, I was interviewing earlier, um, Michaela. Uh, she was saying that fencing it's the the act of fencing historical fencing any fencing is like a form of meditation because in order to do it well you have to push everything else out of your head Mm. and it's that focus that complete focus and being in the zone uh that is relaxing as well it's not just about enjoying it it's like oh i can switch off from all those other sort of concerns Mm. um my body you know i can exercise my body and my mind is kind of being cleared out of all these distractions that bothered me all day long the coronavirus you know will i have a job tomorrow all that kind of stuff it's just like just that moment of, yeah. of pure clarity yeah because i remember one of the things um sifu was teaching me when i was doing Shaolin kung fu was that you learn this you learn uh kung fu then you unlearn it and then you basically learn it and it's basically you don't think about what you're doing and you just do mm. it you just rely on pure instinct mm. where you can just have the conscious mind just kind of switch off a bit and just rely purely on your, your subconscious and just do what you're doing rather than yeah. right i'm going to do this now and do this well you just do it it's like uh what i was saying about the driving analogy yeah you know, when you're learning a drive so you've got four stages of competence you've got the conscious competence where you have to think about it sorry you've got conscious un- incompetence where you you oh sorry sure? unconscious incompetence sorry oh, so God. you don't know that you don't know now yeah. we're on the we're now we're on the Dunning Kruger curve, right? <laughs> so we've got the people who who don't know that they don't know anything. They're like, oh, this is 
you see, I'll just pick the sword up and yeah, this is fine. Uh, and then you've got the uh, unconscious, sorry, the conscious incompetence. So you know that you don't know. It's like, oh, I don't, there's so much to learn and I don't know it. And then you've got the conscious competence. It's like, oh, I can do it if I think about it. And then you've got you back to unconscious competence where it's just Second muscle nature. memory and you yeah. can just yeah. do it. Um, yeah. Not thinking, overthinking, thinking, yeah. not needing to think anymore. Yes. <laughs> And that's when you sort of have to go back again and, like you say, learn it all again. It's like, I've learned all this stuff, but I can't describe to you how to do it. So I have to learn it all again in order to, do, to teach it to someone else. Yeah. Okay. I think my problem is with, because I'm dyslexic and I, I, I'm pretty sure I've, I've got ADHD. I don't know. Just sort of, <laughs> I'm just, I just, you know, there's definitely something there. But um, I... I, I struggle like I did I did uh I did jujitsu, I did Mugendu, I did um I did kickboxing, um I did I did numerous sort of martial arts uh growing up and I, I enjoyed them, but it's just like I can only learn in sm like short like chunks and stuff and yeah. um I, I found it really hard to sort of kind of things to sink in so when people were doing things that i was i was struggling to sort of um to learn and because i wasn't enjoying that because i felt stupid because i couldn't do it it's sort of i never and nothing could stick with it and stuff and it's yeah. um that was one you know I'd, I'd love to be able to do something like that but i just don't know if my mind is in that place to sort of you've got to be quite disciplined i think and uh it's not that i'm not disciplined it's just like i i get to this sort of things like i don't understand this and uh -huh. then it, it my, my mind starts fighting against itself to sort of like well you know do something else and then come back to it but you can't you can't really do that when you're sort of trying to learn a, a discipline can you well i like when i started venturing into teaching people online like i say i thought i don't want to teach people on, online they may as well watch a video on YouTube. What's the point of them just watching me? But it's that one-to-one. -one, uh, it's like having a. It's like having a personal trainer mm. versus going down the gym on your own and going, "Ah, oh, mm. this this crap." Whereas if you've got someone like who's in your corner, geeing you on, giving you tips, telling you what you're doing right, um, giving you uh, feedback, like, proper you know, feedback, active proper feedback, feedback and and I'm and when I do it, I'm trying to give my students as much value as I can. I'm pretty sure I've got ADHD too, and I can only concentrate on something for a maximum of 40 minutes. Mm. So, you know, even though that's like the limit of Zoom, if you don't have an account, that also conveniently fits into how long I'm prepared to give people my attention for. <laughs> so um, it's like 40 minutes. You can cram an awful lot into 40 minutes. And I try and make, I try and make it as uh, interesting for them as I can as well, because I know that my, my mind wanders. And I like to, I like to, I like to contextualise everything as well. So mm. I'd say, you know, I won't just say you hold the sword like this, you do this like this. I'll say this is who would be using this sword. This is why it was designed like this. This is why you hold it like it. That's what this bit is for. Um, so I like to kind of give people mm. sort of little extra nuggets of information as I go. And you know, normally when I'm teaching in pre-COVID times, I would do like a six-week course like six weeks introduction to swordplay and after six weeks you can go yeah i've done that i've had enough now i'm going to go off and i'm going to learn something else that's enough for me or you might go i'm really you're like intrigued by this and i want to dive in deeper people hang around and they and they 
and they they do a few more years or they just keep going but um i now i've kind of gone on a completely different route and i'm just doing one-to-ones and i'm teaching people for very short periods it used to be like a two-hour lesson now it's like 40 minutes um i'm finding that even though you know we're, we we're kind of concentrating all our time you can fit so much information in there mm. and um the feedback that i've had from people um is and i've realized it's my favorite way to teach as well is to teach one-to-one uh, rather than a whole bunch of people mm. because really like you say it's that feedback that matters it's like saying you're doing that bit really well keep doing that uh, just someone just saying you know that is working really well for you keep or try it a bit like this um that, that yeah i think for myself like if i when i would go to the gym like i would go my own i would go for 45 minutes an hour i just get what needs to be done and i'd be gone uh yeah. when i went with my friends we'd be there for two and a half hours and you know it was because you we had sort of we would bounce off each other um i think with the martial arts um it was big classes there was no sort of real one-to-one sort of uh training um i am very much down to i learn things so much better if they are if if it's contextualized if if something's visualized and shown to me yeah i i can't read i can't learn stuff off books and no. things really i need to sort of have this visual sort of thing um yeah you know it's like i play guitar and i've learned not because I, I've learned from tabs and stuff. I've learned by watching people and going, well, the hand goes there, the fingers do this, this does this. Mm. And somebody sort of come along when, well, this makes this sound or this does this. And um, I find that a lot easier to pick up and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the one-to-one thing would be very advantageous for a person like me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and like you said, like the uh, another advantage of one-to-one is the, the personal trainer uh can sync in with your learning style yeah. whereas the group te- the, the person teaching a group is is just delivering information mm. like a, to a classroom of students um mm. they're just giving out information it's it's like a broadcast rather than a conversation yeah, yeah. once you yeah, get yeah. past about 10 people it might as well be a university lecture theater with the 300 people in there because yeah. you can't you're just talking at people at that point you're not talking to them are you yeah I mean, I do go around and I do go around and try and spend as much time as I can with people individually. It was great in the summer because I had small classes and uh, we were in the park. So we weren't limited by time and we could spend hours in the park just until the sun went down, really. And we were like, we could just talk about stuff. We could try stuff out. It was it was very different. Um, It was a very interesting time. um, Yeah. uh, something Matt said, and I, which kind of um, keyed me and I wanted to run past you, was like my perception. Like I've done various martial arts before I settled on Shaolin Kung Fu as being one for me. It's like there's basically there's a my view is that there's a martial art out there for everyone, and yeah. it's very much depending upon the flavor and your personality and how the two interact. I mean, I've done like um, like uh, karate before, but I found some of them was just a bit too aggressive for my liking. And I found like the more softer um, Shaolin Kung Fu, which is internal, more balanced, and where it balanced the mental and the physical, that was really much more my liking. I really kind of engaged with that. Is now a long, this long way around of saying that, is that kind of same for Hema? Like, are different yeah. types of soul play more attuned to different personalities and philosophies of each people? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, so think of the 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 phrase or the the acronym HEMA is like you might as well just say martial arts. Yeah. So when you say martial arts, you're usually referring to Asian martial arts. So you've got within yeah. that you've got all the different permutations of kung fu, uh, and all the ver different versions of karate all the different lineages of, of jiu-jitsu etc so it's exactly the same within the umbrella of fahima you've got um like i said you've got rapier you've got french italian spanish rapier within italian rapier you've got different masters who teach in slightly different ways um and you know the body mechanics of rapier are very different from the body mechanics of longsword, for example, because you're doing different things. You're trying mm. to poke someone with something from far away rather than trying to chop someone's arms and legs off from far away. Um, and it's, it's, uh, there is something for everyone, depending on uh, your temperament and your wallet as well, because like uh, <laughs> the uh, armoured fighting uh, that you see Oof, in Jesus. is very, as I was, I've touched on earlier, it's very different to uh, the armoured fighting you see in ACL. So in ACL, the objective of, of that uh, sport is to dump the other person on their arse, basically. <laughs> um, whereas in if you're trying to recreate... Um, because just to be clear, ACL or a, a sport similar to it did exist in medieval times. So it would be a case of in peacetime, you would have tournaments the just melee. like we have now. Yeah. So you'd have like the joust, you'd have, um, you know, people fighting on foot. The, it wasn't, the idea wasn't to kill the other person, mm. but to sort of display arms and skill, skill at arms. To unhorse someone or whatever or break your lance whatever um so you would have tournaments where people were trying to knock one another down to win but conversely if you take um the um just one moment please <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh i hope she's coming back with a sword no? so, uh. <laughs> so if you were to take um armored fighting you, uh, uh, I think you said earlier, Matt, about yeah, you know, a sword wouldn't go through a blessed breastplate. That just wouldn't happen. Yeah. So quite rightly, if you're fighting in armor and you've got swords, you would hold the sword uh, in two places. You'd hold it on the uh, handle and you'd hold it on the blade, yeah. and you'd be trying to work the point into all the yeah. gaps in that other person's armor. And it basically becomes like grappling, uh, or it's somewhere between grappling and trying to open a can. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you know, you're trying to get to you know, the point of your sword into the visor yeah. slits or whatever. It's all those things. Find a joint, stick something in it, and, and pull until something comes off. Even with yeah. even even with chainmail and stuff, with a chainmail and a gambeson on, you're you're gonna you're gonna struggle getting a sword through that and stuff. It's just not. Sorry, yeah. it's rapiers. Yeah, that's why hence rapiers. But yeah, it's yeah. just like you know. But yeah, I, I suppose the style and the actual nature of what you're swinging around as well with the rapier it's very it's very controlled movements with yeah. longsword your weight you've got something that weighs a serious amount and you're trying to move it around with some form of finesse so you need an awful lot of muscle bulk i suppose That's as well a as bit control of a misconception actually uh because the rapier weighs about the same as a longsword okay oh, okay mm. i blame D D for that one <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I blame the they DM for not correcting us on that with his research. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. D, 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 D got everyone 
everyone's thinking that swords were like ten pounds or whatever, but they're not. So long swords, as you say, finesse is the word is the catchword. Finesse is what you're trying to learn. Um, there's this weird. I think it's because we look at sports fencing and you think, oh, look at all that finesse. Mm. Uh, therefore, but, the further back in time you go, the less finesse there is. Okay. But there's always been finesse. It's just it's the application. So um, long swords do require finesse. They do require an awful lot of skill. It's just a different. It's just a different style of fighting. If someone the the fighting that we do in the majority of HEMA is from the standpoint that the two people fencing don't have armor on. So like we do have armored fence armored HEMA, which I described just now, but like in the in rapier, it's a civilian weapon in a civilian setting, it's unlikely that you would have a, a breastplate on. You might That's... do if you were feeling particularly paranoid walking around town. Um and you'd done you know, you thought you might get into trouble. But chances are you wouldn't have anything uh protective on. So it, it was yeah, more... it's like was rapier... The rapier is is longer uh, weighs the same as, as as a long sword, and you're only holding it in one hand, so it's not a light, flimsy thing. It's mm. it's just as heavy as a long sword. But the, conversely, like a long sword isn't like a big, like, cumbersome, heavy of it that you swing around. You you do so with finesse and with skill. Um, other sort of styles that you're saying, Pete, about like you you uh, you know, there's a different martial art for everyone. So you've got the small sword, which is like the Regency era weapon. Uh, the swords after the rapier got smaller and smaller because uh, if you wanted to sit down and watch a recital, you didn't want your sword to catch <laughs> on your chair. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, was that your foot? <laughs> yeah, so they got, you know, after the side sword area, they got they got longer and prettier and more ornate and became the rapier and it became very trendy to have an extremely long sword. But then it, then that went out of fashion and they got, they got dinky again, a bit like, like phones, I guess. They went small, then they got big and then they got small again now they're big again um so yeah there's and and the small sword itself is requires uh, a certain amount of athleticism just as much as the other sort of styles but it's it's about what appeals to you i think it's like does it appeal to you to fight in a certain way it's a lot of it is aesthetics it's like yeah there's a brilliant game that's come out on steam um by two hema chaps actually who've made it um just in their garage scanning people into this like literally they get reenactors they scan them and then they've done a sort of ragdoll um two-player dueling game and it's called um hellish quart yeah it's a really good one Uh, you can find their facebook page it's hellish quart q-u-a-r-t and um it's set in 17th century poland and you've got about it's a bit like renaissance tekken or something so you've got um <laughs> you've got about seven different fighters that you can choose from there's like a longsword fencer there's a rapier fencer there's a saber fencer and uh you go up against one another and and, and they've they've done uh, motion capture of hema fencers to get all the motions oh, the cool. actions correct and oh. I, was, I was watching a, a clip from one the other day and uh, talking about offhand weapons and weird and unusual weapons that we talked about earlier. So there's one guy, it's in a tavern, and uh, one guy has got a Polish curved sabre and in his other hand he's got a tankard. 
So he's cutting with the saber oh. and he's using the tanker to parry the other guy's uh, replies. So it's, it's a good one. Oh, there's, so a, like a, there's a chat with a Tulwar here. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a, historic, a historically accurate version of Soul Calibur. Yes, yes, very much so, along those lines. So I suppose, I suppose the rapier... Um, it was it it was more of a well, what, would it be a kind of as it because I doubt would would rapiers be they wouldn't have been used in battle they were more dress swords for self protection and and jewels yeah they were they well they primarily were a, a um, civilian weapon yeah. um, used in the duel um, or or in self defense in the street yeah or. Uh, people would use them just for fun, like in a class. They'd go to class, they'd learn how to use yeah, it, and then yeah. they practice against their, their friends. Uh, young men who went to university were expected to know how to fence, how to ride, and uh, how to do maths. <laughs> those were the things, those were the three sort of cornerstones. Oh, and how to dance as well. Those were sort of the, the four cornerstones <laughs> of their education. So dancing, riding, fencing, and maths. Um but, I was born yeah, way too you... late. <laughs> People say that. Like, I, you know, my next door neighbors, uh, we, we should have been born in this time. I was like, back then it was pretty shit. You know, it's just like, yeah. you know, it's, it's super romanticized. Yeah, know? but at university, you didn't get to stab people. <laughs> it's probably a good no reason. No vaccines. Yeah. No vaccines for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Yeah. I'm pretty uh, sure if we'd been allowed to stab people when I was at university, they'd have had an awful lot of extra lecturers coming in. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, for uh, rapier, is it, was it used in war? Yes, it was. Um, so you think of your your side sword or your rapier as your sidearm. So it's a bit like an officer's pistol, mm -hmm. in the same way that a knight's sword <coughs> would have been his last resort. Ah, right, so yeah. you you carry a sword into battle. Um, but you only end up using it if everything else has gone badly wrong. <laughs> so your first your first port of call would be a pike, or or a lance or something, um, something long and pointy, uh, or or something that shoots something from far away. Yep. And then when it cut, if you, you you want to avoid toe to toe if if, if you can. Things go wrong when they're when they're up close, right? Yeah, if you, yeah, that's that's not a good idea. But you would yeah, you'd absolutely have one for when the you know, the shit was really going down. There were some, I'm just sort of, I'm just having a quick, uh, a quick, um, a Wikipedia, uh, and it says there were yeah. some war, there were some more rapiers. Uh, it says it, yeah. it is mainly for civilian and dueling, but there were yeah. some more rapiers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they would be slightly heavier. Yeah. Um, and more, more for cutting. And, and I think the reason that the civilian ones are, not as robust is because uh, probably lots of reasons but the two main reasons that come to mind are convenience like you don't want to be carrying a really heavy sword around because mm. it's a fashion statement really yeah uh it's like a, a your car or whatever you don't you know it doesn't have to be a tank um so <laughs> but the other reason would be so convenience you don't want something too heavy but the other thing would be literally fashion so it would be something that is lightweight and appealing and pretty mm. plus as, as you said you wouldn't have to worry about the other person wearing armor <laughs> yeah <not laughs> so it doesn't need to be as heavy because it's an awful lot easier to go through brocade or silk yeah. than to go through plate mail or ring mail i suppose though. yeah i guess 
Huh? <laughs> well, um, I think we're gonna we're, I think we're gonna leave it there. Um, yeah. We've uh, talked for uh, a good uh, well, nearly nearly two hours now, so it's been super. Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one hour, one hour and forty four minutes. Um, wow. So it's been very interesting. Um, uh, I feel like we could talk for a long time. We could we could go off on some many 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 tangents, but unfortunately, I am needed, so I'm going to have the points. Uh, um, okay. But um, it's been it's been really 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 interesting. Um, I've, um, I, I might actually see if I can get some one to one training in in you know yeah. just in general, just to sort of uh, with something. I think that is. I think that's what for me personally. I think it is something I I would need uh, instead of big class training because that just doesn't seem to work, does it? Um, nah. Is there any is there any websites or anything? Is there any anything you want to sort of kind of promote or you know your your streams? Yeah, well, my my if you go, to, I think the sort of the easiest sort of landing page to point everybody at for my work is bythesword.net. Uh, as in live by the sword, not please purchase this sword <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah live by the sword die by the sword so it's by the sword.net and that's got my events that's got my my uh a link to my patreon it's got a link to my podcast um and also information about my classes if anyone wants to study with me you're very very welcome to dip your toe into the interesting and uh deep dive world of historical European martial arts. William? Cool. <laughs> Excellent. I, 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 I was like, I should give it a go, but I don't, say, I don't think I've got any room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of that. <laughs> gardens, gardens will do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been teaching in my living room, so you don't need huge amounts of space. Cool. All right. Well, there you go. Um, by the sword then dot net. By the sword dot net. Okay. Well, um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for that. Super interesting. Um, and uh, we'll leave it there for tonight. So uh, for tonight, I've been Matt Geary. Uh, with me has been Peter Ray Allison. Stay safe, everyone, and look out for each other. Um, Mark Canty. Thank you for putting up with us. And uh, Fran Laquata. Thank you for having me. No Great. problem. Anytime. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.